Are you tired of men monopolizing mansplaining? Luckily, we are here to provide a relief from the drone of men explaining to women how to be a proper lady. And instead, we are here to explain to you what it means to be a proper man. Welcome to Mansplaining, an explication of hypermasculinity through popular culture. I'm your co-host, Kay Grossman. And I'm the other co-host, Brittany Walker. Today we're going to be talking about the 1982 film First Blood, the first of the Rambo franchise. So Rainbow, First Blood, is actually going to be our earliest 80s film. It was made in 1982. It had a $15 million budget, and it got $125.2 million back. So it was wildly successful, successful enough to start a franchise of Rainbow films. There's been four so far, and there's rumors of a fifth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The director, Ted Kotcheff, um, you might know him from Weekend at Bernie's, um, a, a remarkably similar film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and starring role Sylvester Stallone. Uh, fun fact about this movie. Uh, so they considered many roles for Rambo. And finally it got to Stallone and he's like, yeah, yeah we consider this, but I, you know, like, that's my Stallone impression. Just like a lot of murmuring. <laughs> um, it's a good impression. Thanks. He said that he had to rewrite it if he was going to be in it. And originally, this was, they cut it down to three hours, which I can't imagine. The, the plot is incredibly simple. We're about to get to it. I can't imagine them cutting it down to three hours. And well, the original um, forest scene, which we're going to talk about, but was like 42 minutes long. And they cut it down. And, and in the final cut, it's 12. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, the first time he saw it, he's like, this is my career ruiner. Like, Rocky was cool and all, but this is it. Like, <laughs> Guess I'm going to have to sell the dog again. <laughs> oh, no, don't tell the dog story. <laughs> I think it's a good story. It's kind of t- touching and heartwarming. Okay, tell the dog story. Okay. So... Sylvester Stallone, while he was writing Rocky, the original Rocky, was incredibly broke. He was so broke that he had to sell his dog, and my heart was touched. Because he not touched, hurt, because his dog was... I was heartbroken over Rocky's... Grief-ridden. Thank you. Um, over Sylvester Stallone's dog, and the first thing he did with his check once he sold the weights to Rocky was he went to buy his dog back. But this was like the early 1980s or late 1970s, and he had no way to get in contact with the person who he sold his dog to. So he went to the gas station where he had met the guy originally when he sold his dog and just sat there for two weeks until that guy finally came into the gas station and he bought back his dog for $50. (laughs) I like that that he put a price on, on the dog, like... 50 bucks. He was, like, starving. He would, he went to the public library to write Rocky because there wasn't any, like, heat in his house. I mean, I think when I first found out that Stallone... First of all, I didn't know he wrote, wrote Rocky. I mean, I did before this podcast, but you know what I mean. And I was I was surprised because 
not we're going to be talking about stereotyping later not to stereotypes <laughs> alone but you know when you kind of hear him talk you don't expect him to be like an Especially intelligent literate. human being <laughs> Like, <laughs> Rocky was a very fitting movie for him because it looks like he had been punched so many times that he has a, a functioning illiterate. I know, and but here he is. He wrote Rocky, he rewrote the script to this. He changed a lot yeah, in and, the script, well, and we're going to talk about some of the changes he made. But He really worked a lot at humanizing Rambo and not yeah. making him just this massive force of yeah. man-killing machine. And we should mention that this is based off a book by David Morell, but mm-hmm. the book is significantly different than the movie. They cut out a lot of characterization of some of the side characters. Uh, they changed the ending entirely. Um, and so just just FYI, but if you're interested in reading the book, First Blood by David Morell. Yeah. Um, so for those who have never watched Rambo, I'm going to give you a short little summary here. So John Rambo... Uh, a Vietnam War vet travels... Decorated Vietnam War vet. Very much so. Uh, travels to find the last remaining friend from his time in Vietnam War. Uh, he discovers that his friend has died from cancer after being exposed to Agent Orange. And afterwards, he finds himself in Hope, Washington. After an encounter with Sheriff Will Tessel, he is brought out of town, and the sheriff tells him to never return. They don't like his kind in Hope, Washington. Apparently, they can be picky in Hope, Washington, <laughs> which by the size of the town is very surprising. <laughs> <laughs> Rambo enters town anyway, which leads to his arrest. Rambo experiences triggers um, after being arrested. They hosed him down. They try to dry shave him, etc. They're very brutal to him. Yeah, they, they torture him. I mean, they... Or abuse him. Um, and it reminds him of his time in Vietnam. And he escapes. And then what follows is this wild manhunt through the woods in which the police force attempts to shoot Rambo and ultimately arrest or, you know, maybe even kill him. The State Patrol and National Guard get uh, called in to help with this manhunt. And then the movie ends with this emotional speech from Rambo. And then um, Trotman, who is the person who helped train him in, in Vietnam as a, he's like his cult colonel. Yeah. Uh, leads him out after Rambo surrenders, and that's the end. So the plot is not super complicated. It's essentially like dudes in the woods. And I say dudes because there is literally not a woman in the entire film. There is. There's one female speaking role. That's true. some connection to... She she appears in the first five minutes. She has some connection to his Delmar, his war buddy. And she's the one that informs him that he's died of cancer. His war buddy has died of cancer via Agent Orange. But that's the end of the female speaking roles. I think some maybe may show up in backseat in like crowd scenes, but I'm kind of tenuous on that. Yeah. Um, so the first thing that we kind of want to talk about, um, and I'm going to let Kay, because, you know, I the only movie that I hadn't watched before this was Die Hard. Shocking, um, I know. Yeah, the ultimate 80s action film. And this is actually um, the earliest I, you know, action movie that we reviewed in 1982. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very clear that it, there's a huge time difference between all the movies we've been reviewing, which are mostly late 80s, and this movie, which is an early 80s movie. So I'm going to let Kay take it away because this is her first time ever watching this. Yeah, I was actually really surprised because I think popular culture, Rambo has a much different connotation. Like, I mean, 
kind of ven it Wambo like when you think of it signifies vengeance. There's that scene in Wambo two, which I only know because I watched it on YouTube earlier today, of him like suiting up and getting his all his weapons and that scene's like replicated in hundreds of movies. Like you know, I I think feel like I knew this franchise via its tropes that it brought to other action movies. Um, and w- the movie really surprised me mainly because it's so it's actually good. Like it's kind of a sensitive film. I mean, besides the blood, um, and it, and it is. Don't get me wrong; it's a violent movie, but I was expecting like blood and guts and rampage and. I think the most blood we really see, like, on screen is when Wambo's stitching up his own arm um, after a wound. You don't see a lot of... It's it's not exceptionally gory. Um, only one person dies, and that person that Wambo... Wambo's not even culpable for that that person's death because it was one of the sheriff's deputies who was shooting at him in the early part of the film, and, and Wambo throws a rock to try to defend himself, and the deputy loses balance, falls out of the helicopter, and dies. Like, that's the only death in the movie, which is really was really surprising to me. So basically, I just found this movie surprising on that aspect. I wasn't... A lot of the cultural connotations that I think of when I think of Wambo were kind of not fulfilled by this movie. It was a much... I mean, it was a much more evocative movie than I expected. And I think there's definitely a difference between First Blood and Rainbow 2, 3, and 4. Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, just from the synopses that I've read and the clips on YouTube I've watched, it definitely appears. So um, if nothing else, just like if you look at the evolution of Rambo, like as a character in the first movie, he's certainly built like he's very, I mean, he's pretty muscular, but he's not like this mythically proportioned muscular guy. Like... It's not until in the in the second he is though in the second movie he's so buff and built and his muscles are out of proportion to his frame and and the third as well so I think kind of signifying that shift yeah um I, and I would like to add to the tone the tone is just it's hopeless though the tone is sad and mm-hmm. you don't you know in Lethal Weapon for example. It started with that hopelessness uh, when Murdoch is trying to commit suicide or yeah. considering it. Yeah, I mean. And then at the end, he, you know, is all hunky and dory because he has his family. Yeah, I mean, it's a very, like, everything comes up. It's a very happy ending movie, and this movie it, is hopeless the whole way through. Yeah, and in this movie, that doesn't happen. Things don't end up hunky dory. No. I mean, it's sad at the beginning. And, it's sad in the middle. And it's sad at the end. It's really sad at the end. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that has to do, I think this movie shows a lot of the anxieties of, you know, post-Vietnam, late 60s, early 70s, um, especially with the issue with PTSD. Absolutely. Um, so at the beginning, when Rambo first comes into town, the sheriff says, we don't like your kind here. And there are two assumptions that you can make for this. The first one is that because of the way he's dressed, he is homeless um, or he's, you know, well, going to make trouble. like an animal. Yeah, he sells like an animal, so he's going to make trouble. Yeah. Um, and that's the first layer of it. But the second one is he's a veteran and you can tell it from his army jacket. His army jacket. And on he, the even, jacket. he even mentions the flag. And at this time, you have to consider... There was a lot of fear surrounding Vietnam veterans. Um, first of all, we have these Vietnam veterans coming back, and they're usually getting involved into the post the Vietnam War p- protest. Um, so uh, yeah, this was the wheel, really the first 
war where we saw returning veterans taking an active movement in a protest against the war they had fought in. Yeah. Like, that's a very new phenomena. Absolutely. Um, So you have that, but you also have these people who were trained to kill people, and then they're coming back to the world. They were broken, and that is how the the world— At least public perception is that they're broken because they're exhibiting behaviors that don't necessarily fit with the acceptable veteran— like, right. They, they weren't like, heroic. They yeah. weren't, you know, proud. They were crying. Yeah. And, and that's not an image that we like to see. It's not the post-World War II boom that, you know, of people returning and then going to school and becoming family men and businessmen and et cetera. It's people coming home from the war and turning to drugs and turning to alcohol and being homeless and and all these things that maybe they happen. Maybe this stuff happened in wars past, but it wasn't as visible. Yeah, um, I found a statistic, uh, 35.8% of men uh, had symptoms of PTSD after war, after Vietnam War. Um, and many of these people were homeless, and they were, couldn't hold a job, and you're, you know, they did turn to drugs, and they did turn to alcohol. And this movie shows a lot of the anxieties surrounding that. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting is that they become more upset about Rambo after they find out how decorative a... He's he's won a Congressional Medal of Honor. He's won pretty much every award the Army gives out. And they become more upset when they find out who he is, not less. They don't... The people or they, the sheriff's men, it causes them more stress and more anxiety. And part of that is because he's highly trained. But also, I think part of it is the anxiety that the returning veterans kind of engendered. Yeah, um... And I think more than anything, you know, we've been talking a lot about men showing emotion and, you know, how society perceives men showing emotion as being wrong. Um, we saw it in Top Gun and we saw it in Lethal Weapon. Um, and you see it here. Uh, it, it kind of exposes this problem with mental illness and masculinity. It is not masculine to admit that you have depression or you have PTSD, these mental illnesses that cause you that, you know, you can't handle your emotions. And because of that, you are less manly. You are womanly. Yeah, I think it's interesting is that it's a very sophisticated depiction in the beginning of um of his triggers and triggers are a word that I don't think came into that came into vogue probably within the last decade is you know this uh, an image or something that evokes whatever is your traumatic mm-hmm. whatever was the traumatic event and but this film kind of actively shows them and he, when they're hosing him down he's getting these distinct flashbacks to his time being tortured in Vietnam when they're driving him dry shaving him they're getting he's getting distinct flashbacks to when he was approached with a knife again being tortured in Vietnam um and this is the first time we really see like oh this guy is had a really had some intense role in Vietnam um he wasn't just a regular soldier but I think it's interesting just that they show these triggers as the crux of why he goes off on the on the sheriff's deputies that are holding him in the jail cell. Like it's not it, it's caught ca- it's clearly caused by something. There's clearly a causal relationship between these triggers. I just think that's kind of an interesting choice on the director's part. No, no, and I agree too. And you know, it's almost as if they need he needs a justification for feeling that he's being wronged by the police. Like- I mean, when Troutman is talking to him via radio, his his former army commander, 
Wambo keeps Wambo's hidden in the woods, and Wambo keeps saying they drew first blood, man. They drew first blood. Um, and, and to be fair, not only was he initially targeted, they also beat him kind of for no reason whatsoever, other than maybe some mild insubordination. Like there's there was no reason they escalated the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think it's important that the audience saw that like for Wambo to be Wambo, it's he had to be triggered by something, right? And it kind of goes to, you know, just to kind of wrap up um, the discussion on PTSD, I think it's important to that that last speech that he has where he's saying, you know, I came home from the war and people were against me and I can't hold a job and I can't, you know, do I can't live a normal life. Mm-hmm. And it's just this feeling of abandonment um, from everyone around him. And he just breaks down and... You know, it's his most vulnerable time, and it's right before he surrenders. Mm-hmm. Um, and originally, that wasn't in the screenplay. No, no. Originally, actually, um, what was in the screenplay was his death. Was that he was gonna die? I mean, I think it's re- and Sylvester Stallone actually made the executive decision that he didn't want. Um, he didn't want Wambo to die. And I think it's interesting that this actually caused the original Troutman person to play Troutman, Kirk Douglas, to walk off set. Cook Douglas gave the roll up because he's, he thought that it was a much better film when Wambo died. But um, the reason that Sylvester Stallone gave for not wanting Wambo to die was he didn't want it to feel like the only way for a veteran to get out is t- to die. That's the only way for this story to end. And, and I think that's a really important choice. No, I think so too. Um, so the second point that we kind of want to talk about today, um, and I, I feel like it is kind of... And maybe it's just the current time. Um, we live in St. Louis. <laughs> so this is uh, definitely something that's on our mind. Um, constantly. Constantly. And that's uh, police brutality and the militarization of police. Um, especially, I don't, I hate using like Ferguson as like some sort of buzz term, like a town near us. Yeah. And not, not even our town. Like it's like North County, you know. Yeah. Um, has become an event. You know, when you talk about Ferguson, you're not talking about, you know, the town. You're talking about this horrific event where, you know, a boy was killed by a a policeman and then he got away with it. Yeah. (laughs) Not that we're showing any of our bias or anything. Um, You probably could have figured that out before. Yeah. How we felt about this. Um, Um, And this movie really misses a chance to talk about that. You know, when he first, when, when Rambo first comes in, he is stereotyped based on what he looks like and what he's wearing and what the police officer thinks that he's going to do. And because of that, there is hostility at the beginning. And you said it before, he drew first blood. Yeah. And this could have been a very, very different movie if they kind of emphasized this police brutality. But I think more they focused on this, like, small town mentality. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a, we don't like your kind, we don't like outsiders here. Yeah. Um, but, But they do, I think... At least nod to the the sense of there's this established police brutality, and because there's this younger officer, clearly younger, watching the initial treatment of Rambo when he's brought into the station, and just out of nowhere, he's beaten with a police baton, like really brutally beaten, and the the younger officer, the youngest officer, is like physically taken aback and shocked, and kind of makes some like, why do you need to do that? Um, and then later on in the film, you see him 
kind of turn over to the other side of like, oh, we have to get this guy. We have to get this guy. Even though previously he's kind of, well, why are we pursuing this guy with such force? Why did you have to hit him like that? Et cetera. I think the issue here is just the assertion of unnecessary authority. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, when you have power, how can you use that responsibility? With great power comes great responsibility. And who said that? I don't think I've ever heard that before. <laughs> and then you see the kind of this um, backlash against the military, the National Guard, when they come into Yeah, I, I think it's why it's it's not necessarily a discussion of like police brutality, more of a discussion of we don't like outsiders because they, the sheriff, Will Tiesel, really does not like Troutman's infringement. They do not like each other at all. They do not like him when they come come in. They do not like the bringing of National Guardmen, Guardsmen in. They just, in general, get bristle at that. Like, well, we have this under control, obviously. You know, as their men are, you know, as Rambo's wounding men left and right. Um, and it's kind of like, it's it's funny to me that someone who is using their authority, overusing their authority is... Bristling at more authority? Yeah, like, is mad when someone is challenging their authority, you know? I mean, but it, you grew up in a small town, too. You know how small towns work, yeah. where it's, I have my tiny little fiefdom, and I need to protect it, and I don't want anyone else telling me what to do here. Like, Oh, yeah. Like, that's, we both grew up in small towns. Like, even if you see it on, like, the board of tiny nonprofits, you see it everywhere. I mean, you see it in Ferguson. Yeah, actually, you, you see, see it, it in Ferguson. You see it in, 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 in the, the city. Yeah, and the fact that St. Louis County has 96 municipalities for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's just everyone wants their tiny locus of control. And then here you see Rambo and the military, like both on both sides, disrupting the locus of control. Yeah. Um, one thing that really struck me about this movie was I wasn't really rooting for anyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so you have, you know, two people who could be the hero. You have the small town sheriff who's trying to catch this, you know. Maniac. Yeah, maniac. Um, and then you have Rambo. Um, and, you know, I know he, they're trying to make him a sympathetic character. But he kills the dog. But he kills the dog. <laughs> After the dog dies, everything's downhill. I was no longer rooting for him. I was like, I can't wait till you fucking die. <laughs> like, well, <laughs> again, we're showing our bias here. He killed. You never kill the dog. No, never no. kill the dog. Um, yeah, but, but but honestly, though, um, I I didn't. I wasn't really rooting for Rambo. I was just kind of watching the chaos unfold. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of a tragedy in the really classical sense of. There's no good ending. There's no... I mean, Rambo is at best an anti-hero. I think the most charitable, perhaps, view is that Troutman is the hero because he's the one that manages to extricate Rambo. And really, he's the one that prevents... He does the most to prevent more bloodshed. It's kind of like he is the hero because he's the most masculine. He's able to control the emotions of Rambo. He's able to control the emotions of everyone. Yeah. um, And because of that, he is like alpha male. Yeah, he's the most calculating. So, I mean, at... At best, you could read Troutman as the hero, but I think really there is there is no hero. It's like the anti-hero in the the classical sense of like like a Macbeth or a Hamlet character. And what kind of struck me is how this whole movie could kind of be 
a reaction to how people viewed Vietnam? Yeah, I, I see. I saw a lot of criticism of, of commentary about this that said that this was a reaction to the failures of the Carter administration. Um, I don't think we can claim this movie is um, Reaganite or Reaganic no. cinema just because it's so early. It's from 1982, yeah. which is barely into the Reagan years. You can claim that Rambo two and Rambo two is an excellent example of Reaganic Reaganic cinema. Cinema. Reaganite. Reaganite cinema. I like saying Reaganite because it sounds like dynamite. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> like you imagine Reagan's head being flown. Yeah, I, I just, I read actually a lot of commentary about how this, how American politics can be viewed through the Rambo franchise. But I think this, this movie is pretty much a response to the failures of, in Vietnam and the failures of the Carter administration. And I think that's why there's that feeling of hopelessness through the entire thing. Um, because all you can do is watch the tragedy unfold. Yeah. There is nothing you can do to stop it. And I'm not speaking of people watching Vietnam War. I'm, I'm thinking of watching Rambo. Uh, you have this, you know, tragic figure and you're just watching him respond to his trauma. Yeah. Um, I was reading an article that was saying he was never fighting the sheriff. You know, he was always just fighting his trauma. Man versus self. Yeah. Um, which, when you look at it that way, it's even more depressing. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's no no good reading of this. Um, yeah. Yeah, I had a lot of maybe just because I'm I've been revisiting Macbeth for a project I'm doing elsewhere, um, but I saw a lot of Macbeth in this in, in Rambo. In that, um, in Macbeth, you see this character who's fighting shame. Um, granted, it's shame heaped upon him externally, not internally, but fighting shame and destroying everything around him because of his shame and destroying his own sense of self. And I think you see echoes of that in Rambo. So Rambo is a Shakespearean tragedy. It's really sad. Yeah, really it is. This movie made me really sad. <laughs> yeah, I was not expecting it. I was expecting to roll my eyes. I was expecting to think it was dumb. I was not expecting to be saddened and depressed and need to watch Hamilton afterwards. Yeah, and but um, we talk a lot about Hamilton on this podcast. <laughs> I, I feel like once we get a, once we like start a twitter we should just make everyone drink whenever we make a hamilton reference oh yeah like once we actually start using our social media accounts yeah which hamilton reference everyone drink yeah um so uh to summarize here police in the film are rude (laughs) and this is a problem in the entire nation in the united states um ptsd sucks and We need to make it, we need to make men feel that they can properly seek the help that they need for their mental illness without them feeling that they are being emasculated. I mean, to be fair, that's like still actually a very relevant topic. Yes. Like, dude, therapists are cool. Yeah. See a brain doctor. Brain doctors are cool. Brain doctors are rad. You know what's even more rad than brain doctors is brain medicine. Praise the Lord. Um, Praise and, the Xanax. Yeah, <laughs> mostly freeze the Xanax. Um, and we talked a little bit about um, the lack of hero and how that represents um, the Vietnam War. Um, that's all we really have to say about Rainbow, I think. Do you have anything else to say? No, I mean, I think I was just actually really surprised by this movie, just how different it is than any of the other movies we watched. The absolute lack of any comedic elements to it oh yeah um, like, i don't think any funny. movie's been 
been this doc that we've watched. So yeah. I think I, I just thought it was really interesting, especially coming into it with the loaded cultural perception of all the other Wambo movies and all the other tropes. Um, so I, I think this is probably my favorite movie we've watched of the five. And this is our, so this is our fifth episode, mm-hmm. guys, um, state of the podcast. Um, it's been really fun so far. We've gotten to explore a lot of things. Um, we've gotten to make a lot of assumptions about manliness and dudeliness. Mm-hmm. With that, the 80s are fleeting fast. And we're moving out of the 80s because I don't know if you know this, but if you watch or read enough things from the same period, you will see that they all have the same things. And that makes for a really boring podcast, guys. Yeah. And it also makes it kind of excruciating for us to try to find new things to talk about. (laughs) Um, So with that being said, next week will be our last 80s action film review. We're going to be watching Robocop, which is actually... A listener request. And by listener request, I just Your husband. My husband, who doesn't actually listen to the podcast. Yeah. He doesn't? You don't. I listen to it sometimes. (laughs) Pot meat kettle. (laughs) I skip around. I Okay, so I have like a shame complex that whenever I listen to it, like I feel like a deep embarrassment. It's like watching The Office- or yeah, it's second crazy hand, ex-girlfriend. Second hand, hand guilt. Oh, or yeah. Second hand shame, I mean. It's like at that point where you have to like mute the TV and like go to the kitchen because your stomach is like in knots and you're like, I can't watch this. Like, why? Why is this happening? There's um, an English word for that and I can't think of it. It has like eight of syllables. Of course there's an English word. Like, oh, you mean like in England or like English? English. Oh. <laughs> yeah, like the language we are currently speaking. Um, anyways, so... I thought you meant like a specific word, like slang word or something that they use in England. I was like, that makes sense because all English television makes me feel that way. I should have just, I legitimately should have made that up. You should have just made, I would have believed it. I'm pretty gullible. One time, Ian, featured on Print and Playcast, um, convinced me for an entire semester that Missouri State let him switch an astronomy course for an astrology course. (laughs) Which, as, you know, someone who is very, who likes science a whole bunch, I was outraged because this is like in the Bible Belt. And I'm like, what? I can't, of course Missouri State would do that. Like, of course, we're in the Bible Belt. I can't believe it. You were ready to like write letters to the editor. To protest. And so like every time I see, I saw Ian, I was like, Hey, Ian, how's your astrology course? And he's always like, oh, we're good. We're studying like star charts or something. And he would always come up with something that they were studying. And it was so consistent. Like, I feel like he had to be taking notes because like his story checked (laughs) out. So we get to the end of the court, the the semester. I'm like, so Ian, what'd you get in astrology? And he looks and he goes, what are you talking about? (laughs) And I go, you know, like the astrology course that you're taking for astronomy. He goes, I'm not taking that course. I'm taking astronomy and I got to be or something. I don't remember. But I was just like, oh, okay. You are the worst. The worst, burr. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, the next, we're going to do Robocop and then our birthdays. Yep. We're going to just discuss our favorite action movies. 
Um, we're just going to gush about things. Yeah. Jason ta- Statham. I need to talk about Mel Gibson again. Yeah. Yeah. And his butt again. There's a lot of ass shots in Mel Gibson movies. Um, we will actually be doing a definitive ranking of butts we have seen in the course of making this podcast. Which was a question. Actually, a lot of butts. Yeah. We, we've seen, well, I mean, that was part of our, the thing. Yeah. There's a lot of butts for, it's supposed to be a guy movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitive ranking of butts we have seen in this podcast (laughs) we'll do a slideshow no we won't (laughs) maybe we will (laughs) uh afterwards we're going to be talking about uh 90s action films yeah and how they change and the different anxieties they show versus these movies yeah surprisingly films pretty political yeah actually it's not really surprising to me but i'm gonna act like i was surprised surprisingly society show (laughs) society is shown through movies huh who know out your notes so Follow us on social media. We're available at on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. On Facebook and Twitter, you can find us under the Mansplaining Podcast. Like us, please, or follow us. And on Instagram, we are under the Instagram of our network, which is River City Archery Club. Um, you can always find us at mansplainingpodcast.com or at rivercityarchery.club. A uh, quick shout out to our fellow podcasts. We have um, Ian and Ryan. Uh, that's Ryan do the print and play podcast if print and play games board games are your thing it's a pretty good podcast and then it's all right <laughs> i was being charitable sometimes i wish you know that new megan trainer song that's just no yeah like the name is just the name of the song is no period i wish that like i could just like press a button on my body and then every <laughs> single time ryan does something really really silly and ridiculous I can just press the button and it will just start playing that song. (laughs) Just know. Some people want to like have artificial limbs. Some people want to have bionic eyes. You just want to press a button on your body to play a Megan Trainor song. Hashtag priorities. (laughs) Megan Trainor, who is emphatically the The worst, worst. (laughs) which makes it better. Um, Yes, and we also have Questbound and Down, which we are on the. Fourth episode. Fourth episode. By the time this comes out. Because I listen to it, just like I listen to all the podcasts. <laughs> I do listen to it, actually. <laughs> the best one. Yeah, it is, actually. It's really good. Um, yeah, it's so good. I was laughing the whole time. We, we're playing, currently role-playing Star Wars Edge of the Empire. This is an actual play podcast um, featuring all your friendly voices from the River City Archery Club network of the podcasts you know and love, along with a couple guests you've heard occasionally. Yeah. Um, so thanks to Kenny Kenny OO for providing our intro music at 60 Seconds to the Bachelor Test. Um, you can find them at kennykennyoo.tumblr. No, not Tumblr. <laughs> Tumblr is just my thing. Um, .bandcamp.com. So, okay, what's your Tumblr? Nope. <laughs> no. See, now you want a Megan Trainer button. See, this is where you, this is where the Megan Trainer button comes in. I handy. almost said it, and then I was like, but wait, there's a lot of butts on my Tumblr. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, guys. That was mansplaining. Thanks for listening, guys. 